I'm Jill Hopkins. This music means we are getting uh, very cinematic. Reggie, the real critic, ponders in studio with me. He joins us every Friday to talk box office, new movies, and uh, the film world in general. And on the line, straight from Hollywood, fresh from the Oscars, is Matt Fager, home of IndieOutlook.com and RogerEbert.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I wish I was there in person, but it's so great to hear you guys. <laughs> Yay. Oh, we missed you. Sound like you in Hollywood. Matt. I know, Matt. Did you I, see I that? I might as well be. I know. I mean, everyone was, was freaking out about the... Uh, 68 degree weather out there so it's so cold and then you know you come here and like chicago knows real cold like, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting the polar vortex now except it's in february instead of january you know? absolutely so uh we saw a picture of matt uh over last weekend standing next to that big old like seven to eight foot oscar <laughs> and i was like yeah. if he doesn't try to smuggle that back to chicago uh i don't even know if I know Matt, I anymore. tried so hard. I, I want to try to smuggle both of you guys next year. That'd be nice. I'll do it. I'll take <laughs> no, that PTO. No, no, I'm saying as long as you take Mike, I'm, I, I, I want you to take Mike. I, 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 I can't even squeeze in before Mike. <laughs> hey, uh, Matt, we're going to take a look at the box office here, real quick. The top five movies. We are. Uh, I question for you guys. Okay, so I'm looking here at Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn sitting at number one on the box office. But if I clicked just one tab over, I would see a headline that said, Birds of Prey is a flop. Yeah. Tell me how those two things can be true at the same time. So, so Matt, you want to jump in? Uh, you know, I, I, this is a film I was not able to see it because it was screened right around the time I was at the Oscars. But I heard that they renamed it already. Oh, they did. It's Harley right. Quinn, Birds of Prey now because a lot of people are saying... You know, Birds of Prey suggests this whole female ensemble that's really the focus, but it's really Harley Quinn's movie, so it seems like they already flubbed on the title a bit. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a good point. I, I, I like this movie. I, I, I said that before. I think I gave it a, a three... three. Three uh, years. It, it was absolutely solid to me all the way around, and I thought that they made it where this could be a franchise that could live. But this movie cost somewhere around ninety million dollars to make. Oh. It only made about forty million. It was slated when you think about these comic book movies. It was slated to make a lot more, and um, and domestically, I, I don't think it, it's come. I mean, internationally, it hasn't come up with a hundred million dollars yet. Additionally, the <laughs> the the people who went to see it it were were mainly women so that does cut into oh, uh, it, yeah. it it does cut it because you know men men are really go to these superhero movies so who went to see it and then the other thing is that this was rated R so as a rated R movie as opposed to uh, the Suicide Squad which was rated PG thirteen uh, that means there's a lot of people who couldn't get into the movie to see it you know unless you i still were, can't believe that was pg-13 that was a total r movie yeah 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 <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying that um, i mean and, and you know you can't get into those uh, rated r movies unless you're like a a uh, 13 year old uh um a jill hopkins who, <laughs> who figured out how to get yeah. into the theater i did do that i did i did figure out how to do that i saw the crow way before i probably should have seen the crow uh number two at the box office bad boys for life all right midlife crisis movie uh i'm uh i'm a fan of both of these actors very very big fan of both of these actors and reggie weren't you telling me that there's going to be like a bad boys no you were telling me and i'm not happy <laughs> another quit, bad boys quit quit, quit it just stop it uh, it, this was a serviceable film, but it just 
it, it, it's to me, it still felt like it was a little bit too late. You come 17 years later to try to run this movie, you know, and, and talking about running, there's a scene in there where Martin Lawrence and Will Smith are supposed to race each other. You don't want to see that. <laughs> You don't you don't want to see that. They had to inject some new people into this franchise to make it funny. But most of the people I talked to really liked it and really enjoyed it. This movie has made a hundred uh and sixty nine million uh domestically, so it's done it has done really well. And yes, there will be another one. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad that the two best actors in that god awful Suicide Squad movie are now at the top of the box office. You know, like, <laughs> Will, Will Smith was legitimately funny in the Suicide Squad. Margot Robbie. It seems like this is a better vehicle, obviously, for her Harley Quinn. So you know, that's that's a nice bit. I agree. 1917 coming in at number three. A uh, good old fashioned World War One romp. <laughs> making coming in uh doing really well for i think a movie of this gravity yeah yeah i think it's i, I think it is doing well it did drop a little bit about 14 percent. Mm-hmm. it also dropped and that's partially due to the number of theaters that that it lost as well so i mean it lost almost 500 theaters a little over 400 theaters and it only dropped 13 percent. so good for it got an oscar boost if you will and uh, great. Uh, any thoughts about uh, 1917, Matt? I mean, I'm just so glad this film is getting people to see, you know, film how it should be seen. Uh, obviously, streaming services allowing more creative freedom. I'm so happy for the great work that's been done on Netflix and Amazon. But I love the communal experience of cinema. And this film, the only way to see this film, kind of like with Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, you should see it on the big screen. And it won the, the right Oscar for it, which was cinematography. This is an incredible of cinematography by Roger Deakin. So, yes, I'm very happy that that's doing well without really big names attached. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you that this is a, an, a a major accomplishment in cinematography. I just didn't think all the hype that it got as to be the best movie mm. was, was No, there. I, it should not have won Best, best Picture. And, <laughs> and it and, didn't. So. And yeah, it didn't, and, and I'm very happy about that. And then Doolittle, which I didn't see. I'm, I, I have oh. to tell you, I don't want to see. You, <laughs> you saw it, Matt? <laughs> Matt, did you get to catch uh, our our uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Doolittle? You know, after having endured the Lion King uh, remake and having endured Cats, he I'm walked just out. so done with CGI animals at this point. <laughs> I'm so done. And this, all the trailers look so abominable. Every, I've not heard a single good thing about this movie. I hear it's a gigantic, just obnoxious build to basically a giant fart joke, you know? $200 million burned on it. It's just like, what? Could you think of a worse way for poor Robert Downey Jr. after that big success with Avengers to follow it up with this? You know, and it's the writer director of Syriana. <laughs> like, who's, who, who attached these people to this project? It's I know. So oh, my. You, gotta, you just got to think that the check was fat enough to make it worthwhile. Wow. Well, <laughs> well obviously, uh, Robert Downey Jr. didn't get to the next level, but Jumanji did because yes, it was it did. number five. I see what you did there. <laughs> Jumanji, the next <laughs> level. Uh, and we're going to get another Jumanji as and we, well. And I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm good with that. I, I think that they were... They had some uh, creativity and how they brought in brought us back to the second one. There's some intrigue about the the third one, and I think that they that going into this game makes it really inventive, and you can have different people, which is what they did for the second one. So I think they did a good job here. This one did another almost eight million dollars at the box office. It's close to three hundred million uh, a total. Uh, 
uh, 300 million domestically total. So uh, a good look there. And then worldwide, this movie has made 770 million dollars. This movie only cost 125 million dollars to make. Yes, please make another one. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. What you thought? What did you think, Matt? Yes, I enjoyed it just about as much as I liked the first one. I think the genius of these films is how they explore what it means to live in the body of another, whether it's through a video game, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's through a film, you know, the freedom that it gives you. My only beef is I don't care about any of those kids. I think the kids are totally flat and uninteresting. I don't care about those characters. I loved uh, Danny Glover and Danny DeVito coming in and really spicing up with some personality, and it gave Dwayne Johnson and, you know, the whole Avatar cast really something to sink their teeth into. I would love to see much more interesting characters being the people going into this world, and that'll give actors a lot more to play off of. Okay, I I, 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 I like that. I'm, I I did care about the kids, but, I mean, who can't care about the kids? I mean, even on Valentine's Day, I got to care about the kids. I mean, I got kids. You get, you get kids. Everybody gets kids. You know? Come on, man. What's up? I'm Jill Hopkins, joined with a couple of bad boys here at the studio. For life. For life. Reggie the Real Critic exactly. Ponder is here. Matt Fagerholm is on the phone. We're talking movies, and we are a week removed from the 92nd Academy Awards. Matt, you were there. What was the the mood in the room like uh, with this, this star study? Hollywood's biggest night. Yeah, so this was my third year in a row covering it in the Oscar press room for representing RogerEbert.com because Roger loved being in the press room. He didn't care. Even when he was a celebrity, they're like, don't you want to just go to the theater? He's like, no, I want to be there with the press in the thick of it. You can feel the energy in the room. And I tell you, this year was the complete opposite of what it, what it felt like hmm. the previous year. When Green Book won Best Picture, it was like a collective punch in the gut where the press was just like, how did that win? Like, how, how, how could this film win out of all the other films nominated? This year, when Parasite won, I tell you, we're all watching the monitor. Jane Fonda's opening the envelope. And you can tell she was excited. She just kind of savored the moment. Mm-hmm. And then Parasite and everyone, I mean, it was like a collective, like, stadium cheer in this contained space. It was like one of the loudest things I'd ever heard. Everyone just roared with applause. And then when Bong Joon-ho, the director, South Korean director, first foreign film ever to win, a foreign language film, I should say, mm-hmm. ever to win the Oscar for Best Picture, when he walked in, the whole room stood up and applauded because you could sense that history was, was being made. And you could also sense that the Oscar telecast was trying to overcompensate for the lack of diversity in so many of the major categories, mm. you know, acting in particular, and the whole show. I mean, Janelle Monet's wonderful song that opened it, you know, she had all these people dressed in costumes of films that weren't even nominated. Yeah. Like, Joel and my, my yeah. Yeah. And yeah. us. And she's in, like, the Midsommar dress. And, like, they're trying to overcompensate, but I was happy that, at the very least, a film like Parasite One, which which did seem to be a somehow a turning of the tide, that perhaps we have we'll, we'll have more diversity, see more diversity in future years of the Oscars. So what was really interesting, Matt, is that I, I also felt that the Oscars were trying to overcompensate by having black uh, uh, black performers, the movies yeah. that they tried to show. Uh, it, it really felt even even in the presenters that they really tried to overcompensate and say, "Hey, we're diverse." Er, yeah. No, you're not. Don't, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and you didn't fool me. You didn't pacify me by doing that. Uh, and in fact, it's a little bit, a little bit of a turnoff to 
uh, try to say, okay, well, we'll do this since we didn't do that. So I had a problem with it. But I will tell you is that this whole parasite uh, sweep was phenomenal. The problem, yeah. the problem with their sweep is this issue of how can you have the best director, best uh, original screenplay, best foreign f language film, and then best film, and not one of the actors are yeah. voted in as mm -hmm. uh, or nominated. And here's the thing that gets me is that when we look at this, is that directors vote for directors, writers vote for writers, and actors vote for actors. So this yes. says that the actors could not see themselves, they could not recognize the, the great thespianism of these folks, and it is, yeah. a, it is a shameful commentary on the actors who are part of the Academy. I completely agree. I, I, I feel the uh, acting nominees this year in particular were tremendously uninspired. If you look at the work of people like Elfrey Woodard, I'm just going to keep mentioning her from Clemency, yeah. that performance is so far beyond <laughs> so much of the work that was singled out at uh, the Oscars. And I mean, I guess you can say that for pretty much every year, but it really does show you what categories they're allowing for more diverse voices in and which categories they're being shut out. And to all due respect for Cynthia Revo, who I thought, I thought she was going to win for Best Song, quite frankly. There, there's an example where she's nominated for Best Actress. She also just brought down the house with that song Stand Up from Harriet that was so beautifully done. I, I thought that would be her Oscar, but then, you know, Elton John is Elton John, so yeah. he's going to get yeah. his. I mean, it, there still is just this status hierarchy that, even though Rocket Man was up for nothing else, <laughs> I didn't even think it deserved Best Song. It's just, it, it's, it's just interesting when you see where where it's really just the name recognition that just kind of fits the bill. Yeah, except that they got it so right with Parasite. And I think the reason mm. that they got it so right with Parasite is for me, Matt, I think you may have had another movie at the top of your list for the year. Uh, but for me, this of all the movies that I saw, this was the one that I was the most engaged with and the most excited to watch people watch. The fun, yeah. the fun part was watching other people watch Parasite. Now, yeah. now Jill hasn't watched it I yet, right? It. So I'm going I'm over worst. her house to watch her watch <laughs> Parasite. That actually sounds like fun. <laughs> I'll make snacks. I mean, it, it, it was really the unofficial completion of what I thought was the, the unofficial trilogy of the year that really spoke to the class divide, this whole idea of the Parasite and the host relationship that began with Jordan Peele's Us that continued through Todd Phillips' Joker and then really crystallized and became its fullest expression in Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. All of his films, in one way or another, deal with class divide. He has a film, Snowpiercer, where they're on this train and, you know, global warming has put everything in, in you know, just cover the world in ice and here's the lone survivors on this train. All the rich people are at the front, all the poor people in the back. He's always dealing with that concept. And Parasite, I mean, obviously, I think that is probably the grand achievement of his career at this point and it, it was exciting and it was wonderful to see him go up there and honor martin scorsese whose film yes. had nothing it was a, a, yes. an irishman was totally shut out shut and out. saying you know it was it was it was it was scorsese telling him that uh you know the most personal you know having the most personal approach to your artistry is also the most creative and also the best the more specific you get the more universal your story gets and then everyone gave Scorsese a standing ovation during Bong Joon-ho's speech. It was, it was a beautiful moment, and I think it's so true of a lot of the winners. The uh, animated short film Hair Love, the Yay. one, you know, very personal story about, you know, black identity. I mean, the, the importance of black hair, you know, and, and just how 
you know, the, the beauty of, you know, this girl wants to do this for her mother, you know, her mother voiced by Issa Rae, you know, having having her power behind that film, having Jordan Peele being executive producer. I mean, that's also an example of names helping the film get pushed out, but what an important film and what an important yeah. statement. And then forever, for the filmmakers, uh, Matthew Cherry, the director who won the Oscar that night, for him to bring this young man who was suspended uh, because of his dreadlocks, you know, mm-hmm. and then the, 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 this whole idea of this crown act that they're trying to push in all 50 states, you know, saying, you know, the freedom to wear your hair how you want to. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, the, the film was, I mean, the, the night was full of statements that I thought were important, and they were using the Oscar platform in the way that it should be used. I couldn't agree with you more, Matt. I'll, I'll tell you that I was extremely happy just from a personal perspective and how hair love touched me. I was extremely happy about the win. I think, and and the and 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 for people to know, I mean, there's people who um, were who were who worked on this film from important black animation, and that was yeah. um, Baby's Kids. The guy who did Baby's Kids mm-hmm. was uh, uh, was on this as well. Uh, I am so happy that this film won because I, it, it, when I watched it, the, the, the feeling that I got was so personal. And I think that if going back to this whole Martin Scorsese bit is that it was so personal that it was yeah. so impactful. So uh, absolutely. I'm Jill Hopkins. That's Reggie Ponder. Sitting across from me on the phone is Matt Fagerholm. How closely aligned were your wish lists with the actual winners? <laughs> okay, lists. so I'm I'm gonna jump first because Matt was in the in the room and and he'll have a much better perspective, <laughs> right? But I for for a leading actor, I knew that uh, Joaquin Phoenix would win. Uh, at the, uh, I I agree with I agreed with that mm-hmm. choice. Uh, I think of the nominees, he his was the best. I knew that uh, Renee would win. I didn't particularly uh, agree with that choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. her, it it did not. She didn't move me for a supporting actor. I, I I think that Tarantino messed up the movie with the violence at the end, and I've been saying this over and over. So Brad Pitt, while I thought he put, I really thought he put in a good performance. I thought both of them did in that movie. There was something about it that didn't grab me, so I lost on that one because he, uh, I, I I didn't pick him. I'm just but, sincerely surprised that in this. This uh, of all the categories, this seemed to have the most like heavy hitters. They, they did. Like this yeah. was, I, I felt as though this was like the most impossible. So, to, so to, to me, I felt that Joe Pesci got robbed because that was my my choice. I I would have uh, picked Joe for that. And then lastly, and so we can hear from Matt, is that for actress in a supporting role, Laura Dern was my choice, and I am happy that she won. She made that film something that resonated with me. So. That's uh, Matt. What did you have for your wish list, and, and did that line up with what you uh, saw last Sunday? Matt? Oh, no, we lost Matt. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we have lost Matt Fagerholm. It's okay. He'll be back. He'll be back. You know, he's he's like a spirit. He's an apparition. <laughs> but he will call back He will in a call moment. back. Uh, but uh, this that's was, my, that's my, was uh, your radio voice? Yeah, that's my radio voice. Reggie, I like that one. Uh, yeah, there was, uh, there were uh, in my house loud yelps of excitement when when Parasite won for best uh, was it best foreign language film That's first, right. and I was like, well, of course that was going to happen, and I think more than anyone else in the room, Bong Joon Ho 
seemed the most surprised that he took home four Oscars. Yeah, I, oh, I, I think he definitely felt very surprised. What was interesting when he when he won is he, he not only was he surprised, I think he was he was uh, of course happy. I mean, but there was a a certain energy that he exuded in talking about his film and talking about winning the awards, all that. We got Matt back. Matt's back. Yay. Yeah, I'm back. I I think there's someone that just doesn't want me to talk about Joker on the airway. That was the last time my voice got cut on Vocalo. But uh, no, I was just saying, I I just think he's been using his speeches in the the best way. So I, I, I was happy overall with a lot of the winners. Uh, and uh, I mean, especially, I mean, Laura Dern honoring both of her parents and just what acting legends they are. Uh, I thought that was beautiful. And she's such a fascinating fusion of Bruce Dern and Diane Ladd. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of good things, but I, I agree with Reggie. I, I, now I really want them to not have to overcompensate next year. I really want to see a whole lot more diversity throughout the categories. And really people, I, I, like how Carrie Mulligan recently said, you know, People have to see all the films. You have to have a way of proving that you've seen all the films. I like that. Or even allowed to vote. Like, really let them see it. And Because I'm sure people didn't see Clemency. I'm sure people didn't see Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is my ultimate Valentine's Day recommendation that opens next Friday at Music Box Theater. Brilliant film. Neon had so many great contenders, but they just threw all their money to Parasite, which paid off great, but I'd love to see a lot more films get that same opportunity next year neon did a phenomenal job with their movies uh, uh in terms of the movies that they put out uh, there were yeah. a lot that I, I i just really liked and a, a good job to them um uh, kudos to them as as it relates to that i think that there was just one other one that i kind of wanted to mention and that was the fact that uh, I never get into these awards like for sound editing and visual effects mm-hmm. and sound mixing. I, I never really get into it. But I I was thinking to myself, who should win sound editing? And I thought it should be Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, it, the, I saw it in the big theater and the way it sounded. I think I saw it in Adobe Theater and Ooh. it sounded so good. Yeah, so, Adobe Atmos. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, I just wanted to ask you about that from a sound editing perspective. No, I was, I was happy that Ford vs. Ferrari, which is not a film I was all that hot on, but I agree. On, on, on a technical level, the thrill of the race scenes, how long those scenes were. Now, usually people say, well, if you win Best Picture, then you have to win Best Editing. And some people in the press room are like, oh, my God, is Ford vs. Ferrari going to win Best Editing? But no, I'm glad that, that they split it up. I'm glad that they thought, no, out of those five nominees, that was the most innovative and visceral editing job. No question about it, and, and the best paced film. And, and, and the last, I'd say out of all those. and the last one for me is I'd like to get your thought on. As I thought that this was right as well, is for best adapted screenplay, uh, Jojo Rabbit. I thought yeah. I thought that was the exact the right one that it should win. Yeah, and uh, Taika Waititi is one of the few people I got to talk to in the press room afterwards. The uh, writer director, and he spoke about how Mel Brooks supporting that film. And, you know, being being a champion of it, that, that to him, he said that was my Oscar because that was the validation he wanted. He wanted to make a satire that took the power from evil forces in society by illuminating their inherent absurdity, which is what Mel Brooks did brilliantly with uh, Springtime for Hitler and the producers. Mm. And, and, and I really do think I watched Jojo Rabbit again on the plane ride back, and I, I know that that's exactly what his goal was with that film and and, and, I mean there's a lot of dramatic heft to that film than the child performances so I I, I was I I was happy with that I I would like to see Greta Gerwig get in there I would like to see a few more people but I I, I was pleased with that and I like how he also paid homage to 
his New Zealand roots and saying that the Maori oh, yeah. people, the indigenous people, we all have a voice and, and it all should be heard. I love, I love that as well. Thank you, Reggie. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Where can people find you on the socials? You're up, Matt. Yep. Uh, you can find me on rogerebert.com and indie-outlook.com. And you can follow me at, at Matt Fagerholm, uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram. And yes, I, uh, it's always a pleasure, you guys. Always a great time. We miss you. We'll have you in real soon. And, and you can Yes, fo- I'll be there in person. <laughs> and you can follow me at mattfagerholm.com. <laughs> uh, also at Matt Fagerholm at the Oscars and also at Matt Fagerholm in the world. No, no, you can follow me at, at uh, The Real Critic on uh Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at my website, reggieponder.com. You can also follow me um, on my podcast, which is The Real Critic.